Welcome to the Mythic Life Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be exploring creative and alternative lifestyles with guests who are finding their own paths through careers as healers, artists, and teachers, along with exploring topics in the personal development space of developing intuition and metaphysical gifts. And today we are exploring the great adventure of a psychic's journey and how healing emerges as we step into more authentic, true self. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I am your host, Eric Brummett, and joining me is a very, very dear friend of mine, Cynthia Lester. Cynthia has been somebody that has been a very influential person in my life since I was born, really maybe even since before I was born, Uh, Cynthia has been a dear friend of my family's and has been wonderful counsel, guide, intuitive, and even a healer for my entire family and has been a a real inspiration as I've stepped into my practice. So I just really want to thank you for joining me today, Cynthia. Thank you, Eric. It's wonderful and it's wonderful to meet again. You're joining us from Arizona, is that correct? Yeah, I'm in Tucson, Arizona. And you have had quite the journey. You've moved around all over the place and had an an amazing adventure of life. And I just really want to explore, you know, for me, growing up, growing up's not easy, (laughs) honestly. And with the work that I've done and, and with us connecting and sharing, like people really choose our lives. You know, I really believe that people choose their families, they choose their lives, they invite in things that will teach them and help sculpt their characteristics to step into a life of purpose. I believe everybody has a purpose and that we're all born very open and intuitive. And then there are some that kind of fall asleep, you know, we go into all this programming and culture and things like that. And some of us have some pretty intense experiences that really actually go the other way and keep us open. And, you know, from your website, you share some incredible things about some of your first early experiences. It starts really at the beginning, right there at like two years old. Uh, Share with us, what what was this experience? It is a, you know, it's kind of my key story because it directed everything in my life. And I was, you know, I was a little child, probably a toddler in my memory, because I remember what house we lived in, because we moved quite a bit. And I was standing in my memory on the sidewalk, I might have been on the deck or something. And I was looking up at the trees, and I was transported sort of instantaneously into this, you know, golden light, which you know, when you tell these stories, they sound kind of cliche, but when you're having them, or if you've had any experience like that, the profundity and the impact is, you know, there are no words. And I was in this light, I was in this place, just in it. And it was as I didn't maybe have words at that time, but I knew it was love, it was light, and I knew it was home. That was it. And then moments later, I was the little toddler on the sidewalk. And I was profoundly sad. So I could say that became my journey to understand or to find that place. And as you know from, because 
you've read that on the website and things you know is that so my life was early life was colored with experiences not as you know that one was the top 10 <laughs> number 1 but i would have these visitations that i have no idea what they were <laughs> things that go bump in the night but it was much more than that and as i got a little older to say 5 6 7 8 9 I did have this thing where there were like scary things that would come. And I know people could say, oh, it's blah, blah. But I know they were presences. And I had wonderful things like having these floating out of body things. Like I'm daydreaming, lying on my bed, and then I float out. And then I came back and I can still remember going, what just happened to me? And I knew something like I'm going to say real happened. And I also knew that so many of these things that I experienced, I wasn't going to share. And I had a you know, dream about past life without ever knowing what a past life was. And I was a monk, you know, trying to escape some marauders. And anyway, it's a long, long story, but it was, I completely did not, I was, you know, grew up in Southern California. There was, <laughs> there was nothing in my home life that would lead one to, to contribute to this. But I will say, let me, that when you say it's hard to grow up, I do feel with all due respect to my now dearly departed parents that because we were raised in a culturally, materially very lovely atmosphere, but we were very unnurtured. You know, my mother was very damaged, so she couldn't touch us or kiss us or anything. So I think as an understanding things in psychology and this and that, that there was, a, it created a way to be, to have these open things occur with me because I had no grounding. And a lot of times trauma is the foundation of many healer, seer, visionary people's early life. People die, you know, they're abused, different things, sexually abused or any kind of abuse. And this, you know, and there becomes, you know, clinically they say disassociation, but that's not always, you know, it's not always a disorder. <laughs> There's a way to be a witness to things yeah. that can also let you experience things. Absolutely. I mean, those experiences, we have our beautiful moments and then we have our really intense hard moments. And some of the hardest moments, I mean, I didn't grow up being abused. My kid, my parents didn't hit me. I wasn't neglected. They were very loving parents. But my father was sick, you know, and him going through his illness, going through all these stages of cancer and watching somebody you love suffer was some of the hardest, most intense memories that I had. And um, going through them was really hard. But at the same time, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I feel like when I sit down with a client, I can hear any story and feel okay and understanding and can show them care instead of being traumatized by their story because of the intensity that I experienced, you know? So like, that's kind of the thing of this path of being a psychic, being a healer, being of somebody that wants to support and help other people is like we go on this great adventure of life, you know, exploring it. And what I'm wondering about, because 
you had these experiences, then you had like this mundane in between it and like not feeling loved, but then you went through all the way through adolescence, early adult, and it set you on a conquest to like reconnect, right? To find that path of that first experience, that experience of love that you felt and then didn't get at home what journey did that take you on? So sort of timelining this. So I, you know, I was a kind of a Tom, I was very active and I had a lot of, you know, we lived in neighborhoods where there were until we moved when I was going to sixth grade with a lot of kids. And I was a prodigious reader. My mother would take me to the library and I'd get nine books and read them all and that sort of thing. So that that was a comfort place for me. I was very active and I was thinking, thinking. My favorite poem, I'm sorry, was Robert Louis Stevenson's The Little Land, which starts, when at home alone, I said, and I am very tired of it. I have just to shut my eyes to go sailing through the skies. And it goes on. But I read that book, Child's Garden of Verses, endlessly. Anyway, mm. so, so childhood, we moved and we, lived, we moved to an area that there weren't kids. And that's when it got gnarly and um i became depressed and i became angsty and my grandmother had died and she was starting to appear to me and then i was becoming a teenager and i you know i loved books like i never promised you a rose garden and i also love you know the all the all the really angsty tormented young woman books and i also loved the transcendental poets so i found ways without understanding and i had you know i wrote i did art and I mean, that part, you know, having said that about the visceral affection in the family, all those things were supported, which was very nice. I mean, it wasn't, you know, kind of stuff. So then people, you know, this was the beginning of late 60s, mid 60s to early 70s. And so this is when people were starting to talk about meditation and the Beatles and, you know, all this. And I knew I had something and I knew something was true about how I was experiencing it. But I suppose and what would happen for me, Eric, is that it was like an energy thing. So I shook a lot <laughs> and I was, you know, as a teenager I, and even going all the way through college and I wanted to be a school teacher, I couldn't stand up in front of a group because I would shake so much. Mm. You know, people were starting to do drugs. Well, my brain was so loosely wired, you know, that I was trying not to see things. And I wasn't hallucinating like like I was schizophrenic. I mean, I knew I wasn't crazy. I didn't I didn't know what I was. I, I mean, it's sort of interesting because I knew there was something fundamentally true and authentic, and I was going to figure out what it was. But I was definitely different. And of course, I didn't want to act like I was that different in the way that I was feeling things. You know, I went through college and then that's when I studied this, as you know, found uh, uh, this person I knew said, oh, this man in Berkeley is starting this thing because he he and I had had these like visitations of his dead dad and, you know, these things that sound a little much, but it happened. And we, when we were in college together, tried to find like presented our ideas to professors about I didn't even know if we called it metaphysics. I don't know what we called it, but something different. And it was poo-pooed. And then after I graduated, I was actually getting a teaching credential then. And I went up to Berkeley to have my first reading done on me. And it was just like, 
the portal opened. I was so happy because this man was describing what was happening to me and what it was and why it was happening. And then I could start to study there to not be shaking and, you know, learn about chakras and auras and past lives. And I mean, it became, you know, it was a lesson in, I should call it energy control and, and in healing. And, you know, they had this coursework and that was my beginning. My soul was happy because I could have a framework and I could start to have, you know, a control and understanding how it can be useful. And also for me deeply personally, not to feel so confused. (laughs) Yeah. I told you that story that when I was about 17, my dad thought I was so lethargic that he sent me to a doctor, you know, like for a vitamin shot and, you know, made an appointment for me. And the doctor thought I was such a nervous wreck. He prescribed tranquilizers four times a day, which I take it like that, but I saved them for, I knew when I'd be nervous because I, I was reacting to everything around me without knowing I was doing it. I mean, what these words, seer, clairvoyant, empath, channel, all those things. I mean, I would, things would happen in my sleep and I'd be talking in my sleep and yeah, there's all, you know, I'd have to really think to remember all the stories, but it was very, well, it was very real. (laughs) What can I say? It really makes me think of a lot of the teen kids that I know now, there's this huge wave of what's happening in mental health and seeing it as an illness rather than how open and gifted these kids are and that they're not having learning disabilities. They are kind of having more of a opening super ability and how it can without a framework actually cause like this disturbance. Like it, it becomes a challenge to like navigate for you. What I hear is you had these experiences and you're like, I can't exactly explain what the experience was or meant, but I knew I wasn't crazy. And it kind of kept it moving forward rather than falling into, I have some condition. Right. And I don't think I ever, in my general, I wouldn't have been diagnosed, but I I've worked in education. I, I, you know, I have a degree, a master's degree in education, but I, you know, I, I early on kept my finger in education. And I, you know, why I say that is because part of my life has been like, this is not woo woo. <laughs> you know, this isn't, if you have a vocabulary, they're going to let you into that world and the things and how this thing with kids, as you're saying, and I, you know, I talk to people all the time and we have, you know, the the ADHD and the spectrum and this. And it's not like, you know, maybe there's ways to talk about that that sometimes is useful. But because of the nature of our educational system, and I want to say, you know, I'm all about integrative medicine and, you know, not one size fits all for anybody. But this labeling of kids, especially now, is because the school, I mean, that's I know that's not the only reason, but schools are overcrowded and all this, you know, we have so many social ills and, you know, what's happening around us and it's a tragedy. So that, that moment when this manifestation came through of actually having a container, having a framework for it, Mm -hmm. I went through really the same thing of my life becoming very bizarre and chaotic. And I was having these 
incredible spiritual and intuitive experiences with my friends or with taking a psychedelic or something like that. And I, you know, from the, from my dad dying really sent me on this path of really kind of questioning life. And it was so uprooting in my teens that finally, when I anchored into learning a a technique, learning a modality, like, it's not like I gained intuition by learning the modality. It just gave structure to what the natural gift was, you know, that was always there. It just didn't know how to express itself. So it would show up in these wild moments. Right. And I remember when I started my practice, I was so terrified. I was absolutely terrified to launch my practice. The idea of charging somebody to do intuitive readings and healings was like the scariest thing I could imagine. And I just remembered watching. I remember when my father was sick and he had a procedure, he had a surgery. I think it was this third one and they botched the surgery and they didn't know that they botched it. And he was having internal bleeding. He was at uh, Dominican in Santa Cruz at the hospital in Dominican hospital. And um, they rush him to the ICU and he has so much blood loss and he has so much morphine in his body that they didn't know how to treat him and what was happening. And they kind of were just looking for the chance that he might stabilize. All of his vitals were going crazy. And I remember sitting for two days in, in the waiting room with the whole family. And we'd go in, we'd rotate in to see him because they'd only let one person in at a time. And I remember my mom bringing me in to see him and then watching you come through the doors and like, you can't come in here. And you're like, I'm his priest, (laughs) Uh, his minister. I'm his minister. And they're like, Oh, okay. You know, because there are those, those rules that, you know, you can't keep people from their minister. And, And you came in and you put your hands on his body and all of his vitals just immediately balance go perfect. And the nurse sitting there freaks out. She didn't know what to think. And she's like, you know, you can't touch him. You can't, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't touch him. And you're like, oh, okay. And you just lifted your hands up about a foot above his body and continued to just run energy. And his vitals continue to stay there. And um, that was an incredible moment. That gave me the sense that anything's possible and is such a miracle and has always been a place that I draw on for courage when I face moments that miracles are needed, you know? So, you know, you have been such an influence for me in that way. And that healing, watching that healing of my father was incredible. And I know you've worked with people all around the world. When did you end up going to China? No, not China. I went to Nepal and I went to, to Nepal. India. Nepal, India, Israel. I mean, I haven't been to China. I have clients in China, though, interesting, because of all my, I didn't know I was actually networking and creating a business. So grateful. I want to say, you know, that story when you told me that I remember that day, I didn't remember anything other than 
being with your dad, I mean, and what that felt like. And I, I didn't remember that helps me to remember miracles too. And that what comes through us and um, yeah. So I, uh, you know, how the, the work developed was like you said, you know, I did this to save my life and to stop shaking and to stop feeling crazy or that richness of having a corral, having, you know, there's a, the spiritual piece of it, which of course that's part of it, but this thing of just calling it energy because of the problems I had, even though had you known me then you wouldn't necessarily have known that. Although I did drink rather profusely. <laughs> and, you know, I was in Berkeley and I did their program and then I was their head reader. And then this woman asked me to give her a reading and it was like my first official, right? And it was funny because it was, I don't know if you remember Irving Wallace, the author, it was his wife because his daughter, Amy Wallace, was in this same program. And that was my first. And then people referred me. And then this woman said, she was a yoga teacher, Amrita Forrest. And she said, I wish you would teach classes. Would you teach classes? I mean, it's just, you know, my little living room apartment in Berkeley. And one of the things I learned, which when I worked with your dad, we ran into this because I'd been shown by them how to do these healings. And then there's that unknowable spiritual part where I was shown these things about energies and how to use this kind of diamond light. And she said, I couldn't sleep for 24 hours after you did that. And I hadn't that light. I hadn't told her what I was doing. I would always close the session with the healing. And that's when, you know, that was my healing 1A course on, you know, blast people all the time. <laughs> and when I, that's the healing part, you know, there's the reading part and a reading can be is a healing because it helps bring things up and we can, heal them and understand them differently. So then I did that. And then I started, um, you know, that was so I was like 25, 26 years old. And I did that. And then I started uh, developing a program and classes. And there was a point then in my 20s, I, you know, I had a nine month training program 20s into my, like, maybe early 30s. And I started to have a thing and I named it the Church of Infinite Spirit from the Urantia book, if anybody remembers that. And and then I realized, no, I don't I don't want to be an institute. You know, I'll teach and I'll do my stuff, but I, I want to be free to explore. And I, you know, I developed things, you know, at that age, we're wrestling with our parents and our identity. So I about parents. And then when I, you know, got older and I became a parent and I went into recovery, you know, I don't know if I yeah, I've been sober for almost 42 years. And you know, so I've wanted to help because, you know, people with addiction problems or drinking problems or children with special needs and autistic. And I've, I've been, you know, so blessed to be able to work with an incredible spectrum of issues. And I always wanted to make it, you know, there's the magic, which is amazing, but how do I make it? So it isn't like woo woo. And, you know, that people that you're always the other, if you do this and, you know, that's been a, you know, you're not a, a stereotype, <laughs> but, and that's been a big thing for me. And, I ended up being invited, you know, I had a, in those days, I was working all the time and teaching. That's where we had Zoom and Skype and cell phones and, you know, all that. So I had to show up in person. And then I can remember the first thing was probably, maybe it was Israel. And a man had been referred to me who was getting a, a degree from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto. He was Israeli. He was translating the Course of Miracles into Hebrew. Anyway, and he 
lined me up with the Israeli College of Healing Sciences to go over there and teach and give clients readings for a month. And, you know, over the years, I had trips there. And I I taught at centers in a center in Belgium for eight or nine years and the Virgin Islands, you know, different, like these wonderful opportunities. I, I mean, people would invite me on a TV show or radio and I don't like, I told you I'm doing it. I don't like going I, 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 but because I've been thinking, you know, I've had quite a trajectory of work. I never wrote a book, need to do that, but you know, that it just showed up for me. And I just, I showed up, (laughs) they asked me and I show up. And that's what I did. And I, you know, I do feel, you know, at times when I didn't want to do it anymore, you know, for whatever reasons, get a teaching job. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, I really, you know, at this stage, it's, it's the best thing I can do for people. And it's probably the best thing I can do for me. (laughs) On this journey, it's something that has been at different points, a challenge it's come and gone of having these experiences and then stepping into being in practice where through the structure of a session, it becomes easy to tap in, but then we're still living our lives. And when I drop into my life, sometimes what's the greatest challenge of tapping in and listening for yourself? Do you ever find that? Yeah, tapping in and listening. (laughs) Tapping in and listening. I mean, to actually create that space because it's so funny. I mean, I don't go around thinking, oh, I'm psychic. I mean, I actually forget <laughs> that I could, you know, when if I get stressed out, wrung out about something, you know, I forget. I have a little joke. I'll say, I should ask myself. I know I don't say that. I say, what, what would I tell a client? You know, things like that. And I had a, I, I became very involved in Tibetan Buddhism and then mindfulness and these, you know, kind of things for you know many decades and you know I became a very strong you know mindfulness practitioner and doing retreats and I I have to be to remember to do that quiet when I was I can't run anymore because of my knees but you know I used to be a runner and that was a really wonderful pathway to to for myself to get answers or for very difficult things even with clients and how because it just probably got my endorphins and going through and I I mean I used to say you know, it's not hard to be spiritual or for our clients, but you know, how to the lifetime work is working it in your own life. And there's this saying, what this woman, it's part of her quote, Joan Chichester. And the last sentence says something like, what nobody tells you is that it's the work of a lifetime. And it is because our lives keep going on and we get, you know, we get both blessings and wonderful things and we get big challenges. And to remember, that which is greater than us could inform us if we would be quiet (laughs) and let it in. You know, on this path of doing sessions and teaching and having the sense of purpose, are there any specific things that come through that really help kind of keep that fire ignited of, of wanting to be of service? Yeah. I mean, I think maybe you have this too. Sometimes you, I, I'll call it compassion burnout. You just need to take a break. Yeah. But, but what it is, is that it's not about me and it's not me saying these things. I'm seeing something, I'm hearing something, you're channeling something and that you're helping. I guess that's, you know, if somebody asks you for help, how can you help them? And when I think of it, you know, it's, 
almost 50 years, which is bizarre to even say because I'm only 30, <laughs> you know, is um, it, it doesn't leave me, you know, even if I wanted to leave it, whatever it is that, you know, it's, I guess it's not mine to give up. It's not like retiring from a corporate job. <laughs> They're not, and there've been times I've thought about it. And I said, I think it's the meaning. It gives me meaning, you know, and I learned from my clients. I mean, you know, I get to live, you know, thousands of lives like are seeing into other people's lives. And sometimes I've, when I'm feeling tired, I feel like I've spent my life with my eyes closed being other people's lives when I was in a place of like, maybe I, I need to stop. And then I realize, you know, that actually I get this window that is amazing. I've read something like some actors saying, you know, they get to have these experiences playing these different roles of things they wouldn't experience or would never do or whatever. Well, I get to dip into people's lives and, you know, see from their perspective. I can see, you know, the spiritual picture, the bigger picture, and also frame it in ways, depending on the person, on how they can, you know, with we have, you know, people, you know, death and the illnesses yeah. and divorces and careers and you know all these passages that people go through in life and that's for my profession my my work that's a good thing about me getting older because I've lived through a lot and I know we can get through these things and not only get through it but have richer deeper fuller lives even though when you're going through some things you don't even know if you're going to live through it much less that you could ever feel okay again now I work so much with I mean, I can, you know, have some kind of communion with people who have left the planet, shall we say, and that's a comfort. Mm. I mean, it's a continuum, isn't it, Eric? Can I ask you, I'll ask you, do you dream about your dad? Does he come to you at all? He hasn't come to me in dreams. I really experience my dad and, and feeling him. It feels like he'll come through me. I'll feel an instinct. I'll feel a certain energy. And then it's almost like a tap on the shoulder when I feel that sense of sensation. And then I can close my eyes. And when I close my eyes, I can then hear his voice. You know, in my readings, I really focus on reading people's bodies. I kind of get more anatomical and into health. You know, when I launched my practice, I was like, super into the psychology of illness and getting on to more reprogramming the subconscious and what emotions are going with what microbes in the body and kind of reading that way intuitively. It wasn't like having those bigger moments of, you know, an ancestor coming through or an angel coming through or reading people's potentials and futures. It's more understanding people's thoughts and things like that. So I've always been in awe of those more celestial visitations and connecting into those places because I've never held that in a framework. I remember having an experience, a couple experiences where I thought I was interacting with a person you know, and the funny thing is both of them were on nighttime walks on Westcliff. <laughs> so, you know, in Santa Cruz, there's like a drive along Westcliff. It's three miles long. It's beautiful and scenic. And every quarter mile, there's a little pullout 
where there's parking places and little cove beaches and things like that. And I wanted to go and check the waves with my friend one night and we went, we checked the waves and we were walking back. And, you know, at that age, it was before I came into Theta Healing or had a practice or anything. I was living in Santa Cruz and I remember we were smoking cigarettes. We were walking back to his place and we're walking along and there's a very typical scene of a VW bus, you know, a little VW minivan bus. And there's two guys sitting inside and one of them looks like Jerry Garcia, you know, like Santa Cruz hippie style, nothing out of the ordinary. And they're, they're like, Hey, you guys have an extra cigarette. And we're like, yeah, sure. And we give them a cigarette and we're sitting there smoking together and we get into the most philosophical, huge conversation about life, about everything. It gets to such this like ecstatic state, like we were crying and laughing and hugging and there was a sensation to it that was like, you know, those shivers that you get and pulsation. And we're walking away after saying goodbye. And I'm like, wait, we never got their name. I wonder what their name is. And we were only 50 feet away. I remember turning around and nothing was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. And my friend was there with me. He turned around with me and nothing was there. Like we both had this shared experience. And I think that's kind of like what those earlier experiences that you had of these visitations, right? Like they come through dreams. They have these little moments where you're kind of plucked out of time, right? Oh yeah. You know, these things, because you're angels or you know spirit guides and, you know, the focuses over the years of in readings and I, I always joke I say I'm like the most pragmatic mystic you'll ever meet. And that you're part of that thing that is so I mean when you have those experiences it's just fantastic. And then there's things when people want, you know, like that big purpose in life or the spirit guide or the angel. And that's like that's nice stuff. Have nothing but this thing of how we how we find a place to meet this everyday part of ourselves and find a, a healing and maybe a path of action to really change these patterns that are hurting people. And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, there are many things about, you know, forgiveness and acceptance and that. And, you know, I was very involved, for instance, in, you know, family constellation work for a very, I got a lot of training in that. And I found it, you know, there's so many things that are valuable. And, mm. and with having these experiences, like you're talking about, like I've had, and you've had that, you can't make it happen. <laughs> it yeah. happens, you know, in most unexpected ways. And, you know, it's, I mean, it just, those kinds of things when, especially if you're having, you know, feeling upset about what's going on in the world that, you know, something happens, we'll say that magic, that, that breakthrough that you remember, wow, this is, you know, we're an eye wink in eternity and there's all this other stuff going on. And, somehow we'll get through this day, day by day too. Hopefully that, that permeates a lot of aspects of our lives. Being of the old hippie days, I of course thought at this point in history, we would actually have world peace and, you know, mm. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be looking like that, but we are in a lot of transformation and a lot of wonderful things are happening too. Yeah. As the Dalai Lama said, they're still reporting bad news. That's good. <laughs> not. If it was normal, they wouldn't be calling it bad news. So on this journey, 
A mythic life is free from the constraints of old stereotypes, led by the adventurous soul that is striving for joy, fulfillment of purpose, and the quest for higher growth and connection. A person who believes there is more than meets the eye, that pursues personal development, alternative medicine, lifestyles that are wanting to break free from the societal norms, and explore their mystical abilities. There's greatness within everyone and a soul desiring for joy. And, you know, as we connect and explore this, I really feel that place of how when we get to do a reading with somebody, when we get to be in session, what's significant about that connection for you with a client? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I really, I feel like we're touching souls, like our souls are talking, you know, and it's not. I'm experiencing them more than they're experiencing me, but I feel like I'm experiencing the purest of that person and that have my eyes closed. And we're just looking at that, you know, the energy of a thing. We're not looking how we're dressed. We're not looking, you know, maybe we won't even talk about, you know, depending a person's needs because mm-hmm. it's complicated, but where you're, there's an essence of something and I get to be a part of people's lives in these very, Poor ways, even though you know, I probably have hundreds of people that I've known for some decades and I've never met them in person. And I've never seen most of them because I often just do the phone. And yet, I mean, I think it's not hyperbole or grandiose to say, I think they feel that with me too, that there's a trust that, you know, we're we're very, I don't know, angelic's not the right word, but there's a an anonymity that is also profoundly one that we're meeting at that place of you know of soulness with each other that's a beautiful thing to be able to have conversations with people in that way and you get to do that every day i mean i can have talk about you know royalty i mean i could be i could be very shallow but it's so wonderful for the these parts of life you know i can serve you you can serve me and the authenticity of that type of exchange of information is pretty amazing. It's a wonderful way. I mean, some days I've thought, as I said, I spent my life with my eyes closed being other people's lives. And I am so lucky because I've had so many authentic connections with more, you know, deep connection with people and about the things that meant the most in their life and maybe troubled them the most and helped them through passages. I mean, I'm not saying you know, maybe I haven't been maybe that person for everybody, but it's pretty profound. And if you lived in a different, if we lived in not in a different culture, we had the advantage of America, but, you know, if we lived in India or, you know, China, you know, places where this type of thing is integral within the fabric of everyday life. When I left India for the first time, got off the plane and just looked into somebody's eyes. And I just remember going, they know they have a soul, you know, there's a light in there that isn't, you know, that goes deep because people in different cultures and indigenous cultures live their lives that way. There's not a separation. And for me, there's no separation. And I wish everybody felt that way or could feel that or be, you know, I feel like I, I like to give people permission to do that. <laughs> not yeah. And so in, in many ways that just the connection is the healing. Right. It helps them express from that place on a level. 
being heard and seen on that level wakes them up to being in it more, brings that light back in. How do you feel that supports people? What types of shifts do you see with people as you do the reading? Depending on the circumstance, I would say, generally, sometimes it's just, you could say, somebody seeing you as you are and feeling seen in a way that they've never talked to with anybody. Many times, of course, people are moving through the loss of somebody, a death, through a career change, unexpected, generally painful transitions, and having a way to help them understand it, frame it differently, maybe meditation exercises too, these different, you know, sort of toolkit of things that might come to me could be go dancing, go play, Mm. could be something that is more metaphysical or spiritual, but that, that, that is what, you know, I would hope with sessions that that's what it does. It helps us live our lives. You know, it's like Laheim to life. You know, this is short and we have ways that aren't always considered traditional in our culture, but they are more like things like you and I do that we're not everybody's dirty little secret. <laughs> and, then, and that's right. With my, uh, you know, like Silicon Valley executive people, <laughs> their dirty little secret. <laughs> but there is a, this is, you know, you you can move forward. And, you know, as I said, I'm a pragmatic person. I mean, I know stuff is going to happen that's going to, it has happened that I didn't in my life and everybody's life. And it's not a failure that that happens to you. And there's a way to understand it, not by sugarcoating it, but by having a richer, deeper experience around it and grieve or whatever you have to do. And it's not magical thinking. You have to take action in life always. And so I hope people that I talk to, I mean, you can talk about it, talk about it, but you want to be different. You have to go be different if you're not, and not respond to a situation, whether, you know, if you've been abused or lost in love, you know, whatever that is, that is absolutely true. That will never change, but that's not where you want to live. There are different therapies to help deal with that, but that you can look forward. We say, look forward into the light to inform your life. Don't look back. That's definitely the dance I've always found with clients that, you know, my tool belt is obviously a little different of focusing into reprogramming the subconscious and like doing more of a psychological process with the sense of exploration reading. And we become so attached in our ego that sits there and it will stagnate with whatever the situation is until the situation forces us to like strip away from identifying with that part of ourselves. And what I hear is that this journey of actually acknowledging and speaking and having a connection more on a soul to soul level and seeing that other side of somebody and reading through there and then counseling and guiding them from there into action really helps them shift in their free will so yeah. that they stop identifying with the current situation. You know, like everything in this way is a manifestation, right? Like everything's happening out of identity and you know, most of it's an illusion anyway. I mean, there's so many 
different ways to approach all of this. And I, you know, my saying to myself is, you know, what is the small golden key for that person that will unlock it? You know, whether it's antibiotics or it's a past life regression, not saying that I do, you know, but, but where can I network them? And, you know, there's so much work now with the wonderful, the somatic experiencing and EMDR and these things that I believe physiologically help, help people so much in ways that they get them out of that, you know, called the squirrel cage. But also, as you know, if you were raised in whatever you're raised in, somewhere deep inside of your first chakra (laughs) thinks that's normal, Mm. positive or negative. And so there is this reprogramming or unearthing that to know, okay, I was born into believing that. I mean, there's so many, the depth of that in the you know, family legacy and in utero and all these different things. And so whatever it takes, like it sounds like what you're doing to help that kind of reprogramming is that's the only way, however that happens, whatever form, that's how people can move forward. Otherwise they just, they're very stuck in their trauma or their pain or their unhappiness. And, and of course, like you said, and I say, I mean, I have bad days and, you know, it's not like I go, Oh, it's just an illusion, you know, <laughs> or, you know, let, let me be lied and heal and cleanse and forgive. And it takes a while. <laughs> the body has to do what the body has to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That, that is so true. We do run into those places where it is so real and at the same time, anything can change. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's supposed to. And it is just a blip, right? We are here just to have these experiences. And I know in that way, we want to take those actions. So I really have always admired that of you of being willing to let life be fluid and to pursue and have experiences. Like I remember going and watching you perform fire dancing and blowing fire and working with swords and like doing like this whole beautiful performance. That's a whole, that is my (laughs) trick to pull out of my bag better than saying I do psychic readings or intuitive counseling is to say, do you know, I eat fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love doing that. I love the, I mean, that's the fun stuff. I mean, I, I had a thing in my head of, you know, there's learning. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in so many things, as I'm sure you are. <laughs> and yeah. and it's just fun adventures and learning to do cool things and make art and, you know, travel. I mean, all those things. It's a I wink in eternity. I think that's really what those big psychic experiences help, mm-hmm. right? As, as they keep us questing and being open to you know, who knows what. I really appreciate that. And I want to thank you for really being a trailblazer for me and being so influential in my life. We are mythic life, free thinkers, deep feelers, courageous trailblazers. We own our myth with our vibes, how we think, feel, and act. We believe that love is a given, not something earned, that spiritual is sexy, kindness is cool, and earth is sacred that everybody has superpowers and life is too boring without magic. We walk our talk and when life gets real, we heal. We choose our path and make it epic. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And 
sharing with us your journey and your work. I absolutely love you, Cynthia. For more on Cynthia Lester, there is a link to her website in the description below. It is CynthiaLester.com for more about her readings and workshops and trainings. You know, I want to thank everybody for listening and staying with us through this journey. And for more on our community, you can subscribe to this podcast. We will be having over the summer shorter little insight clips and then guests will be rejoining in the fall. Join our community by subscribing to this podcast or follow us on Instagram, Mythic Life, and YouTube at The Mythic Life. Our Facebook group is The Mythic Life Experience. If you really want to have an experience and to be guided through some of the work that I do, you can check out our website at mythiclife.com and join our free live online healing circle that we do every month. It's a wonderful way to be guided in actually stepping into being your own healer, learning the meditation and having an experience. And I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. I look forward to seeing you again. Our podcasts come out on the second and fourth Monday of every month. Once again, thank you, Cynthia, for joining us. Thank you, Eric. I love you and all the best. Bye, everyone.